Hello, and welcome to Wicked Wednesdays, your weekly podcast on sex and sexuality. I'm your host, Wicked Fellow, and I'm happy to see you here for the second session in our BDSM 101 series. In this new format, we're going to do all the studio news, question and answer, etc. at the end of the podcasts so that we can get right into the lessons. Today, we're going to talk about how to navigate starting a BDSM relationship with somebody. This won't be so much how to find a partner in the first place. I think we will do an episode on, you know, how do I find a kinky partner? You know, do I use dating sites? Do I use specific BDSM dating sites, etc.? I do think that kind of requires its own episode, and I will get into that. For this one, I want to concentrate more on how that initial interaction happens, how the negotiation of roles happens, how the negotiation of likes and dislikes, you know, safe words, all that kind of thing. And this stems from a lot of questions I received based on the first BDSM podcast, 101. I put out the call for questions and you guys responded, and that was amazing. I got a lot of good questions and topics. Some of the things that I was asked are, you know, more advanced level. And so they will appear in later episodes. You know, people asked about specific types of play. And that's awesome. We're going to talk about that. So this one is about how to start that interaction, how to begin that relationship with a new BDSM partner. How do you talk about, you know, boundaries? How do you talk about what role you're going to play? How do you talk about when you're going to play? Is this going to be a 24-7 relationship where the only interactions you have are as a dominant and submissive? Or is this going to be an episodic type of play where you may have a relationship in real life, say this is with a spouse or a boyfriend, girlfriend, and you don't want to play all the time. You only want to play on certain clearly defined days or certainly clearly defined scenes. There are so many ways to play. And there's a broad spectrum. You may have a relationship that is, you know, largely 24-7. This person is always the dominant. This person is always the submissive. They never break out of those roles. And that works for them. That's fulfilling to them. Katya and I have a relationship like that. That is comfortable for her. It's hard for her to be in a relationship with me and have days where she's not my submissive. And that's fine. That is something that I've done before. I've also done relationships where it was very episodic and very specific. You know, most of the time we were just boyfriend, girlfriend. You know, we had a regular relationship peer to peer. And on certain days, you know, say for the weekend, we would say, okay, this weekend we're going to do DS. And starting, you know, as soon as the sun comes up on Saturday morning, you will be in your submissive role. I will be in my dominant role. And until sundown on Sunday, that's how it's going to be. There will be no breaks. And that can be important when you are first beginning a relationship, you know, figuring out what each of you is looking for in that relationship. A lot of the things I'm going to talk about today, you know, while they are very kink and BDSM specific, I think that they correlate extremely well to regular relationships. The amount of communication, the amount of open honest communication that is a prerequisite in a BDSM relationship can also benefit a regular vanilla relationship extremely. So you will see some parallels and you will see some things that 
are not just good for BDSM. These are things that I believe will help you in your regular life, assuming that you have, you know, a BDSM and a vanilla life. So yeah, when you first sit down with somebody and there's this kinky interaction, you know, you've met somebody that you want to play with in a BDSM setting, you know, what do we talk about first? Well, you know, the boundaries of the relationship. You need to be open and honest with each other about what you are looking for. Do you want 24-7? Do you want episodic? Do you want, you know, a mix of both? That's fine. But go into it clear-eyed and go into it being very honest with your partner about what you can offer them. You know, what are your time constraints? Are there things that, you know, would prohibit you from doing 24-7? Limitations on time can be very important. You know, you can say, I'm interested in this relationship, but I can only do this once a week. I've only got one free day that I can dedicate to this relationship and this kind of play. Respecting those boundaries. You know, it can be very easy in a dominant submissive relationship, especially for the submissive, to feel like they can't say no, right? Because that's part of the play. That's something that needs to be worked out between the dominant and the submissive. Because, yeah, in the scene, in the role, when you are actually playing, you may want to be completely submissive and not be able to say no. But that can be difficult when it comes time to telling your dominant, hey, you know, I can't meet next Sunday. I have an important engagement. You know, how does the sub navigate that conversation? So at the very beginning of the relationship, that negotiation of power exchange, it can be very helpful to say, you know, if you're doing 24-7 dominant submissive, you never break out of that role. I think it can be very important to say, hey, if I need to speak to you peer-to-peer, if I need to talk to you as an equal, if I need to talk to you as someone that I can say no to, how do we do that? You know, that's very important. You may have a special way. You may say, can I write you a letter if I have a concern or a question? Can I ask for a specific time to talk to you about this? where we're not in scene, where we're not in character. Figure that out ahead of time so that you go into it with the groundwork. Because once you establish a dominant-submissive relationship, once you become familiar and comfortable in those roles, it can be very difficult, especially for a subservient that wants to be good and wants to be a good subservient. It can be very hard for her to tell her dom or his dom, no, I don't want to do that because they feel like they're failing or breaking out of their role. So yeah, those, you know, sitting across from somebody at a cafe when you're first having these discussions, talk about your experiences. Talk about things from relationships you liked and didn't like. Talk about things that worked for you and did not work. If you're brand new to it, talk about what you're hoping for. What are your expectations for the relationship? What kind of things are you hoping to play? What kind of scenes are you hoping to do? What kind of relationship are you hoping to have? That's a conversation that is just as vital for vanilla couples as it is for BDSM couples. You know, being able to tell somebody, hey, I really like you, but, you know, I can only date once or twice a week. I can't see you every night of the week. I have these responsibilities. So that they know going into it, you know, this person isn't ignoring me. They're always busy at these times. They were busy at these times before they met me. And they're still going to be busy at these times now that I'm part of their life. And that's something that can get lost in the initial thrill and excitement of a new relationship, vanilla or kinky. You know, we practice power exchange. We practice 
a dominant submissive lifestyle where one person is supposed to do what the other person tells them to do. And that's fine if it's fulfilling for both partners. That's that whole consent thing. But there's nothing wrong with the subservient laying out their expectations. You know, that is something that can save a lot of heartache down the road because once they get into that BDSM relationship, it can be very difficult for them to try and adjust their role, to try to change things without it feeling bad to them, without it feeling like perhaps they're we are going to have some really good episodes specifically on being a dom and being a sub. But one thing that I probably should have talked about, because it is one of those terms that an outsider may not understand, there's something in BDSM called topping from the bottom. And it's usually frowned on. And topping from the bottom means that the submissive is trying to control the relationship or specifically control a scene, taking power away from the dominant and trying to run things from the lower position, topping from the bottom. While it is a real thing, it certainly can be a bad habit for subs to get into. It's difficult to say to somebody, I want you to dominate me, but I'm going to tell you how to do it. In the beginning of a relationship, especially, you know, you're not topping from the bottom if you lay out your boundaries. You're not topping from the bottom if you tell somebody, I'm not interested in a relationship with you because you are assuming dominance over me that I have not given you. That is not topping from the bottom. Once you give that person authority, once you say, yes, I want to serve you, then sure, it can be topping from the bottom if you're saying things like, I think we should have three sessions per week and I'm only getting two and I think you should use the leather paddle and not the wooden paddle. That can be something that is topping from the bottom in certain situations. I'm certainly not going to say that every time a sub wants to bring up an issue, they are topping from the bottom. That is a bad excuse that you know, weak doms use when they feel out of control. They'll say, oh, you know, they're topping from the bottom. They're trying to control me. Maybe. Sometimes, yeah. Sometimes they are stepping out of their role and trying to assume a leadership role from a subservient position. That does happen. More often than not, when I hear a dom say that their submissive is trying to top from the bottom, the submissive is just bringing up a concern or a question or wanting to know more information or trying to help make the relationship fulfilling and work for them. So they're not the same thing. And that's kind of what I'm talking about. You know, when you're entering this relationship, when you're beginning a BDSM relationship, establish a way of communicating peer to peer so that, you know, once you're a year into this and you're comfortable in your submission and the person is comfortable in their dominance, you can bring up issues that you're having in a way that is not topping from the bottom and in a way that is respectful to the relationship. And you can say, hey, you know, next Sunday, can we sit down and just have a peer-to-peer -peer conversation about our DS relationship? There are doms who will flatly refuse to do that. Personally, I think that's a mistake. You know, it may work for some relationships. It may be something that is thrilling and works for a sub to know that no matter what, they can't say no. But that's a very difficult negotiation that needs to be very personal between two people. Laying the groundwork for a successful BDSM relationship means having those conversations at the beginning. One thing that I want to touch on is a bad habit I see a lot of doms get into. I've seen this both in very inexperienced doms and even doms that have been in the scene for a long time. And their mindset is, I'm a dominant 
and I'm talking to a submissive person, if I want them to be attracted to me, if I want to have a relationship with this person, I need to be dominant from the very moment we meet. My first message is going to be, are you ready to serve me, right? I get the mindset. I disagree with it. However, I disagree with the execution. If you're a dominant personality, if you're a dominant person, that's going to come across, even if you're being polite, even if you are not immediately trying to dominate that person. Because dominance and submission is not something that is assumed or demanded. Just because you're a dominant and you meet a submissive person does not mean that they automatically are required to submit to you. You know, what's the point of having someone submit to you if they will submit to anybody, if they can't say no, if they can't choose to be under your control as a dominant. So assuming that domination, just because you know somebody is submissive or you feel somebody is submissive, assuming domination over them is really bad form. It's bad taste. It's not a good way of going about the relationship. There's plenty of time for you to be dominant. There's plenty of time in that relationship for you to assert your control over them with their consent. If you lead off being dominant, you don't have their consent. You are trying to dominate them, and they have not given you permission to dominate them. And I see this all the time. You know, a good friend of mine recently started a relationship with somebody. They had, you know, some kinky interests in mind. They had talked about doing some play. They had some preliminary conversations about play. And then... For their very first meeting, the Dom came on super aggressive and super dominant in a way that the subservient didn't feel like he had earned because he had not earned it yet. They hadn't been playing. They hadn't had the relationship where he could tell her to do these things and expect them to be done and expect to be able to give her consequences for not doing them. That's too strong too soon, right? by their negotiation, meaning that, you know, that may be your thing as a submissive. It may very well be something that turns you on if the dominant is just right from the get-go, super aggressive, super dominant, super commanding, that may turn you on. But you do need to give that initial consent to be dominated. And in my friend's case, while they had agreed to play and they had agreed to do a scene together, they had not agreed to play to the extent he was trying to do. And he was pushing too hard. And something that, again, I see a lot of dominants do. She was getting in trouble, you know, trouble in quotation marks, for rules that he had decided on that he had not communicated to her. I know that that is a particular style of domination where... The sub is always kind of left in doubt and in question and a little edgy on whether or not they're breaking rules because the dominant has not told them what the rules are. They're just expected to know. That's not my style. I don't particularly like that style because I like my subservience to have a clearly defined rule set and agree to those rules. That's what makes it fulfilling to me. I don't want to just always have a submissive in trouble because they broke some rule that they didn't know about. You know, I don't like to play like that. 
And that is how they were starting to play. My friend's would-be dominant had already started getting her in trouble for things that she had done wrong that they had never discussed. You know, and again, and this is their first BDSM encounter. And I'm illustrating this because she's been in the scene for a long time. She's not a neophyte to this. She's used to the interaction between a dominant and a submissive. He said that he also was in the scene for quite some time. I don't know all the details on his history. I just know that she came to me to talk about something that really upset her. And she described the situation where he had gone from being cool and chill and talking about kink to right into very heavy, hard domination. And that did not work for her. You know, that relationship essentially ended on that day. So as a dominant at the beginning of a relationship, don't assume dominance over somebody. If you're dominant, if they're submissive, that will come in time. And it has to be earned. It is not commanded from someone, it's not demanded from somebody. Submission is a gift. You know, submissives out there, there's nothing wrong with telling somebody who's coming on too strong as a dominant and assuming authority over you that you have not granted them, hold on, I'm not ready for this. This is not, you know, we don't have this relationship where you can command me. As a longtime dominant, I can tell you, you need to be able to communicate and listen to your sub's needs. Even if you have a 24-7, never-changing, very unyielding BDSM relationship, as a dom, it can be incumbent upon you to pay very close attention to your sub. And if you see them wanting to communicate, if you see them wanting to tell you something that they're afraid to tell you, or that they feel out of place telling you, to encourage that conversation, to be a dominant and say, hey, I feel like you've got something on your mind. I want you to tell me about it. You know, There will be no consequences for what you're going to tell me. I'm not going to get mad at you or punish you if you tell me you don't like something we're doing. You know, I'm setting aside this space, no consequences, free and open communication. I want you to speak to me as a peer and tell me your concerns. Or speak to me as my submissive and tell me your concerns. That can be incumbent upon the dom because often subs will feel like they are out of place by even bringing that up. And that can lead to bad relationships. Subs, I want to empower you, you know. If you feel like things aren't going right, if you feel like this isn't working, you do have a responsibility to speak up for yourself. You know, ultimately, no matter how subservient you are, no matter how comfortable you feel under somebody else's control, ultimately your safety and your health and your mental well-being is in your hands. And that can be a heavy responsibility. But, you know, at the end of the day, you still have to make the choice. You still have to make decisions that benefit you and take care of you. You know, hopefully a submissive is in a really good, healthy relationship with a dom and that dom has their best interests at heart and is looking out for them and is making sure that they're okay and is making sure that they have good feelings about the relationship. You know, that is part of the responsibility of being a dominant, which we will get into in great detail in the dominance episode and the submissive episode. You know, again, you're sitting down with a new person at a cafe. That's a great time to discuss these things because you have not entered into a power exchange relationship. You are still peers. That person cannot tell you what to do, right? They're just another person. You have not given them permission to command you. That's an excellent time. Boundaries, limitations, expectations. 
those things work great in BDSM. They're essential in BDSM. I think they're essential in vanilla relationships. You know, telling somebody right off the bat, you know, I'm interested in a relationship with you. I'm interested in something long term. I don't want to have children. I want you to know that on day one, that if that's something that's a big goal of yours, something that you want, I'm not the person for that. And you can insert whatever in there. You know, you could say, you know, just so you know, I'm a huge soccer fan. And come soccer season, I'm in front of the TV watching soccer. And I do not like to be disturbed. And I do not like to miss my games. So I want you to know going in, please respect that boundary of mine. Don't feel abandoned come soccer season because that is my passion. Insert anything you want in there. Having that open, honest dialogue from the very beginning because when we meet new people, we want to put our best foot forward and we want to be agreeable and we want to be attractive to them. And the last thing we want to do is hand them a laundry list of things that, you know, are deal breakers in a relationship. You know, I, I get that. I've, I've seen the dating profiles where it's somebody's name and then a long list of things they don't like. That's not very attractive. You know, I'm not saying go that route. I'm not saying you need to hand them a sheet that has, you know, I left someone because they wouldn't put the cap back on the toothpaste, so don't ever do that. But things that are going to be perceived issues in your relationship are things that need to be on the table from day one. Vanilla and BDSM, there's no difference there that's equally important. One of the questions that I had got was, how do you talk about types of play, kinks, squicks, things you like and don't like? things that you absolutely don't want to do, etc. There are a number of surveys online that you can download and fill out. Some of them are very extensive and just about exhaustive where they list every single type of play that you've ever heard of and many types of play you don't even know what they are. And, you know, I like these surveys because they often have three answers. I like this, I do not like this, or I'm interested in this, but I've never done it, etc. I think those are very helpful. I think those are really good conversation starters between a dominant and a submissive in whatever capacity they're going to play in. Even if they're only planning on playing one time, filling out a BDSM survey and having it with you. And it says, you know, I like rope play, but I do not like electrostim. I just don't like it. It doesn't do anything for me. And I don't want to do that. You know, just having that up front. You know, those lists are very extensive. I should, at some point, compile some of these, take the best and worst of everything I've seen, and make a Wicked Ways Studios proprietary list. Um, I might do something like that in conjunction with this. But if you search for BDSM checklist or BDSM survey, you'll find all kinds of things online. Read it. See if it makes sense to you. See if it's something that you agree with. You know, just because somebody made a template for a survey... That doesn't mean that that's the international standard of BDSM, right? It has to be individual to you. And if you need to cross things out and be like, I don't even want to talk about whatever this thing is or add things to it that you don't see represented. But yeah, that can be a very interesting and good conversation starter to say, you know, I'm interested in impact play, but I've never done it. I'm a little scared of it, but I'm also a little excited by it. That's a good conversation to have before the scene, before you get into an actual scene with somebody, letting them know what your boundaries are. When I deal with somebody that's fairly inexperienced in kink and BDSM play, and I ask them, you know, what are your boundaries? And they'll say something very gallant, but very uninformed. And they'll say, 
you can do whatever you want with me. I appreciate that. I, it is very flattering for someone to tell you that. But what that means is that they don't understand how the scene works or the vast array of things that a dominant can do with a submissive. They're imagining that they're going to be perhaps handcuffed to a bed and ravished. But if I pull out a hair trimmer and a branding iron and say, okay, which one do you want first? Suddenly they have thoughts that whatever I want to do to them doesn't apply anymore. Obviously, some of this comes from being ignorant of the scene and all the different ways of play. And I, I totally understand that. I'm learning about new ways of play all the time. So when someone says, you know, I don't have any boundaries, you can do whatever you want with me. What that says is, I don't really understand how BDSM works. Because everybody has boundaries. You know, negotiating that contract, negotiating that these are my limits, these are things I will not do, up front, is very important. And you do need to use your imagination because, you know, yeah, that person that said I can do whatever I want to them was not imagining that I might shave their head, right? But that can be part of some people's BDSM play. And that can be something that is thrilling for both parties. But for most people, you know, that would be something that would be a hard limit for them. You know, they can't go into their office job the next day bald. You know, that is something that would be very uncomfortable and difficult for them. When they say you can do anything you want, they're usually not imagining all the things that can be done to them. It's your role as a more experienced kingster to be like, well, I, you know, I appreciate that. That is very flattering. But let's talk about all the different kinds of play to make sure you actually mean I can do anything I want. You know, are we going to do cutting play or branding play? Are we going to do wet play? You know, things that not everybody's into. So those conversations are important. Starting that survey at the beginning of a relationship doesn't necessarily lock you into a contract. And we'll, we'll talk about, you know, having a contract between a dominant and a sub. But what I'm saying is, you know, you checked not interested in rope play on your survey. And then a year down the road, after being exposed to more things and seeing more things and learning more about the scene, you know, you say, hey, you know, actually, maybe I would like to try some rope play. It's not something that as you start out, has to rule your BDSM life for the rest of time. You can adapt. It's, it can be a snapshot of who you are at that time. It can say right now, I'm not into these things and I am into these other things. And it's something you should update fairly regularly. Talk about it with your BDSM partner. That is a very good first time sitting down talking to each other conversation. That isn't something that necessarily pertains to the vanilla world as much. But this next thing is... And that is having an open and candid conversation about sexual safety. This is something that the BDSM world can teach to the vanilla world. Because I, I have dated both. I've dated in strictly vanilla situations. I've dated in you know very kinky situations. I can say that having that conversation about sexual health in the BDSM world is just a day-to-day -day conversation. There's no embarrassment. There's no awkwardness. There is no, you know, it is expected. And I know that in a previous episode, I talked about how sex and BDSM don't always have to go together. That is absolutely true. You know, if you're not going to be intimate with somebody, you don't need to have the sexual safety conversation. It's pretty simple. But if intimacy is part of your BDSM play, you do need to have that sexual safety conversation. You know, do you have a current test? Are you seeing other people currently? 
you know, the poly world and the BDSM world, there's a lot of overlap there. What are going to be our rules for safe sex? You know, are we always going to use protection? You know, having that open, candid conversation is still something that's very awkward in the vanilla world. You know, when you're on a date with somebody and you ask them, hey, do you have tests? Have you been tested for STIs recently? That can be a difficult conversation in the vanilla world, and it should not be. You know, it's 2021, and it's time to have that be part of the conversation when you get into a relationship with somebody. You know, obviously, because of my work, I get tested a lot. I get tested before I work with any models, and I get tested after I work with them. That is to protect my poly family, you know, who I'm intimate with that aren't necessarily doing porn stuff. Knowing your status, knowing your own results, knowing your own sexual health is something that is crucial. You need to know that, and you need to be able to communicate that to your partners. And a partner who's not willing to share that information with you, you know, you do you. You have to be your own boss, but I'm not interested in that kind of relationship. I'm not interested in someone that either refuses to get tested or refuses to share those test results with me. If it's too much of a bother for them, then I'm not interested. I would like to say that everybody's honest and everybody you know, would never lie about something like STI test results, but people lie. People absolutely lie. It is not enough for them to say, oh yeah, I got tested two months ago and I was clean. You know, make your own decisions. I need to see the results. And I know that sounds very invasive and sounds very like I'm prying into their privacy or not trusting them. The problem is it's very easy to say, I got tested two months ago when you've never been tested. It's very easy to say my results were clean when they came back positive for something. Especially when you know that you have something that somebody would not want to have sex with you if you had. People that have clean results will just hand them over. That's a very easy conversation to have. People that are hesitant to hand them over or are hesitant to get tested or will tell you they got tested but they don't want to show you the results. Why? You know, if you have a clean result, why wouldn't you want to show that? Oh, I can't find it. Oh, I'd have to download it again. Oh, I'd have to go back to the doctor to get the test again. Okay, good. Do that. And then we can talk about having sex. You know, there is no excuse in this day and age to not know the status of your sexual health. Get tested. You know, get tested. There are many free testing options. It does not have to be expensive. You know, most city health departments will have a day where they do free testing. You know, it may be inconvenient. It may be Tuesday morning at 7 o'clock, but it's free. You know, you go in, you get blood drawn, you do a urine sample, whatever. There may be a brief physical examination, and it's free, and you get your results. They do tend to test for the big three. They tend to test for HIV, chlamydia, and gonorrhea. To get an HSV, a herpes test, you often have to do that independently. You often have to have that tested. You know, the city won't necessarily do that for free. Um, you may be able to find a local foundation like an AIDS awareness center or another uh, not-for-profit place that does that. I know there's a local place here that I volunteer at. They do that kind of testing for free. But even if you have to pay for a full run of tests, and I often do because I need my tests quickly and I need a full battery of tests. So I tend to go with those services that you go to a clinic, you get all your stuff drawn, it sends it off to a lab and they send you back your results, usually within you know 24 to 48 hours. That's very handy for me because otherwise 
you know, if I'm planning a shoot with a new model, if I went with the city, sometimes it takes a week to get your test results back and they only do certain tests. So for me in doing what I do, I want that full battery of tests and therefore I need to pay for it. It's still not that expensive. You know, it's a cost of doing business for me. I want to say it's like $130. That shouldn't be cost prohibitive if it's something you're doing once or twice a year. Getting tested before you start a relationship with somebody, I feel is just a basic, that is something you need to do. You need to be able to look at that person and say, I have clean results. Do you have clean results? In the BDSM world, that is a day-to-day conversation that you know, people don't even blink an eye at. They're used to it. They understand it. We're very big on sexual health and safety. I feel like someone would be ostracized pretty quickly if they refuse to have that conversation or they refuse to show their results or they refuse to get tested. You know, that's just not how we play in the kink world. So that's something I would like the vanilla world to also pick up on. Having that consent conversation. As I said in the last episode, consent is king in the BDSM world. Having a conversation about how to withdraw your consent if that has to happen. There's nothing wrong with having that conversation. And that's not just about, you know, safe words for a specific scene. Oddly enough, in my last episode, when I was defining terms, I didn't talk about safe words. A safe word allows the subservient person or the dominant person to stop a scene without saying words like stop. Because for a lot of people... They want to be able to make those expressions. They want to be able to say pretty much anything in the scene that feels good to them. You know, so if they're in a scene where they're being handled very roughly, they may want to be able to say stop or no or don't. Things that normally are obviously, they want things to stop. They don't want to do them. In the kink world, no, stop, don't may be part of the play. So a safe word is a usually a random strange word like pineapple, grapefruit, or mayday, whatever it may be for you. It's something you wouldn't normally say during sex, even in a rough play scene. So that would be withdrawal of consent. You know, if you say my safe word is pomegranate, when I say pomegranate, I want everything to stop. That's a clear safe word. Some people use a red, yellow, and green light system which I think is also a pretty good idea. You know, green light, things are great. Yellow light means, you know, hey, things are becoming too intense or something is kind of wrong, but I don't necessarily want the scene to stop. And red means the scene needs to stop. I have an issue. You know, I think that is a good system. It gives a little bit more grayscale shading to what is a normally black and white thing. If all you have is a safe word, that means stop. It's difficult to communicate to your partner that, hey, slow down a little bit, because slow down may be something you want to say in the scene, right? These are things that you want to be able, you know, it's kind of a code word so that you can say all kinds of things in the scene and not have to worry about, you know, not saying no or not saying stop or not saying this is too hard. You know, in vanilla sex, someone saying stop, this is too hard. That is the safe word. In a kink scene, that just may be something they wanted to say. They want to feel that way. They may be feeling that way, but they know if they want it to stop, they have a way of doing that. That is very scene-specific withdrawal of consent. I want this to stop. I'm withdrawing my consent. When I say withdrawal of consent in a larger BDSM scheme, you know, if if you enter into a relationship between a dominant and a submissive, 
that involves, you know, power exchange, it may be a good idea at the beginning to work out a way of how that is taken back. And again, I say that because once a submissive is in a relationship with a dom and they're comfortable in that relationship, it can be extraordinarily difficult for them to leave that relationship. For a lot of people, being a submissive is a huge part of their personality and their well-being and their self-image and they're, they're proud of it. They're not ashamed of their submission, which they should not be. For them, it would feel like failing and very difficult and very uncomfortable, if not impossible, to then withdraw that consent from somebody. So I feel like that is something that should be talked about at the beginning. You know, have a mechanism of saying, I don't want to do this anymore. You know, if you don't feel like you need that, if you feel like you would just tell them, I don't want to do this anymore, problem solved. But for submissives out there that have been in this situation, think about a way where you could talk to your dom and say, hey, you know, I don't want to do this anymore. Think about that conversation and maybe touch on that at the beginning of a relationship. I believe that's a good idea in the negotiations at the beginning. You know, I talked about using a survey to understand what your partner is into and not into. You know, those are equally important. Finding somebody that is compatible for what you want to do. You know, this is part of that conversation. Just being into kink or just being into BDSM does not mean you're going to make a good couple. If someone is really into brat play, brats are submissives that like to misbehave that's part of the enjoyment they get out of it. They like doing bad things in order to get attention and punishment from the dom. And there's nothing wrong with brat play. That's something that they enjoy. You know, if you give a brat a rule, they're going to break that rule. That's what they're doing. That's the play they want to do. But if you don't like brat play as a dom, if you meet a sub and that's what they want to do, you're not going to have a good time together because you're going to want your rules to be followed and they're going to want to break your rules. And that's going to be an uncomfortable situation because, you know, punishing a brat for breaking a rule is what they want. It can be an uncomfortable and unsuccessful relationship. However, if you're a dom that enjoys brat play, if you enjoy it when your submissive is constantly pushing boundaries and breaking rules, and that's fun and exciting for you, then that would be a good match. But understanding that from the beginning is important. Obviously, you know, some of you will be coming into this not even knowing what kind of sub you are or not knowing what kind of dom you are. That's fine. You know, I understand the catch 22 of you can't get experience without being in the scene and it's hard to get into the scene without having experience. Being upfront about your experience and what you've done and have not done is important for doms and submissives. Dominants like to seem all-knowing and they like to seem like they've done it all and they know everything and they've been doing it forever. That's all part of the Dom character. But pretending you know about a particular type of play that you've never done before is not a dominant thing to do. You know, a dominant thing to do is saying, I have never done electro-stem play, but I'm happy to experiment with you. You know, that's a dominant thing. Saying, oh yeah, I've done electro-stim a hundred times, and you not even knowing what electro-stim is, is not a dominant thing to do. Subs can sometimes present themselves as being more experienced or having more experience in the scene than they actually have. I think that's just a human thing. We all like to seem more capable than we actually are. In what we do, it can lead to some pretty disastrous results if the people involved don't know how to do these scenes or how to play this way. 
So yeah, just being very open and honest about what you've done, your experience levels. If you've never done 24-7, say so. Say, yeah, I've done some scenes, I've done some rope tying, and I did some paddling once, but I've never had a 24-7 DS relationship. You know, that's fine. Be honest about that. If it's not something you want to do, be honest about that. If it's something that you really want to do, be honest about that. You're not going to have a lot of fun and success in BDSM posing as something you're not. You know, this is the place to be as true to yourself as you possibly can be. The scene is vast and big enough to encompass just about anything. So just like the people that were asking about, you know, can I be into BDSM if I'm asexual? You absolutely can be into BDSM if you're asexual. That is no bar to BDSM play. The hurdle you're going to overcome is that so many people like to mix eroticism and sexuality in their BDSM. Very common, very popular, but it is not universal. There are people who play and never have intimacy. So yeah, you can absolutely be asexual and be in BDSM. I spoke before on negotiating how much time you have and your expectations. You know, maybe you're getting into it and you just want a little kinky sex. Maybe you just want to try being handcuffed and having sex that way. That is something that interests you. It excites you. It's a fantasy you have. Great. You know, communicate that with the person that you are interested in doing that with. And say, you know, I don't want to have a 24-7 DS relationship. I just want to have some kinky sex. That's fine. You know, don't overpromise, Don't under-promise. Understand what you want. So we've talked about negotiating boundaries. We've talked about the type and style of relationship. If you are new to the scene, you can say, I'm new to the scene. I don't know what kind of subservient I am. I don't know what kind of dominant I am. I would like to experiment and find out. These are some things that I'm interested in. You know, I've seen handcuff play and I think that's exciting. I want to try that. That consent part, communicating your desire part. Those are all things to talk about at the beginning of a BDSM relationship. Something that I get asked all the time is I've discovered that I have my own kinks and that I'm kinky. However, I'm in a vanilla relationship and how do I get my vanilla partner into my kinks? How do I introduce them to BDSM and kink stuff? And it can be very difficult. You know, I'm not going to pull any punches on this. If your partner is not kinky and you did not enter into a kinky relationship together, it can be very difficult. You know, they may not be into it. They may find it repulsive. They may find it very disconcerting that you are into it. They may not like it or want to have anything to do with it. And that's not a failing of theirs. That's not something they did wrong. You know, we don't choose to be kinky. They didn't choose to not be kinky. Negotiating that conversation, maybe they're not against it, but they've never done it. You know, that's fine. Are they interested in doing it? You know, do they have a desire to try it? Do they want to try it? Do they not want to try it? I feel like, you know, just in general in relationships, you should be open to trying new things for your partner, you know, just for their benefit. If it's something new for you, you don't know if you will enjoy it or not. You're super into classical music and your partner has never been to the symphony. I feel like as a good partner, they should at least indulge you and go and see if they like it. You know, they should, as a good partner, give it a try for you. 
if they go and they don't like it, they can say, hey, you know, I, I went and I, I just didn't like it. I was bored for three hours. I appreciate that you enjoy it, but I don't want to keep going to the symphony. Is that okay? And that may be the end of your guy's relationship. Hopefully not. I feel like kink can be kind of the same conversation. You know, they can say, no, I've never done kinky stuff. I'm willing to give it a try for you. And if they are, you know, give them some breathing room and some space to try it. Obviously, you're going to want to try doing some light, simple things at first to see if they're into it. You know, it may be a bit much to put them in a full leather suit and pull out the crop for the very first time. But try some light things. Try some light bondage or a blindfold or no apparatus necessary. Just saying, okay, so for this scene, I'm going to be in charge, you know, and this is what I expect. Some light play. See if they enjoy it. Uh, if they don't, if they're not into it, you have to let it go. You can't keep pushing them to do something they don't want to do or doesn't feel right to them. You know, that's not being a good partner. If they just have no interest and they don't want to try it and they don't want to talk about it, you know, that can be rough. I understand. I get those messages all the time where somebody either was kinky and got into a relationship with a vanilla person thinking that in time they would become kinky as well. Or they discovered their kinks, you know, they're in 20 years into their marriage and they just discovered they're into latex and their partner is not interested in playing with them in a latex suit. That's the breaks. That's how relationships work sometimes. You know, even having that initial conversation can be difficult. That initial conversation where you come out to your partner as kinky, where you say, hey, you know, I have these fantasies and I have these desires can be terrifying, you know, especially depending on what your kink is. If your kink is blindfolds and handcuffs, that's that's become kind of de rigueur, even in modern society. You know, that doesn't seem so very kinky. But if you have some of the more extreme kinks, some kinks that may be off-putting to somebody, yeah, that can be a very difficult conversation to have and one that should be entered into with caution. You have to decide for yourself. You know, I'm in a good relationship. This is a fulfilling relationship for me. You know, I have these kinks. And you have to ask yourself, do I need to do these things to feel good about myself and be fulfilled? Do I need this or do I want this? But I'm okay if I don't get it. I can get the same satisfaction or a similar amount of satisfaction watching other people do it online or engaging in my own personal fantasies. Is that enough for you? You know, I, I can't give you advice on your individual relationship, whether it's worth it or not. That's got to be on you. You have to make that decision. Just like anything else, you're a huge football fan and they're not. How important is it to you that they don't want to come to games with you or not? If you're happy going to the games with some other friends and they're happy having a night at home watching Netflix and it works for both of you, then yeah, there's no problem. But if you love going to the game and they can't stand it and they get upset with you every time you go to the game and they give you a hard time for it every time you go to the game and they feel abandoned and left out and they feel like they are not as important to you as this thing that you like, you know, that's, that's tension. That's the kind of thing that end up in couples therapy for. So BDSM is just one of those things. If it's something that you need in your life, you have to have it. Your partner's not into it and does not want to do it. 
Where do you go from there? What do you do? I know people that have left relationships specifically for this. It was a working relationship. Both parties were happy. They discovered or they realized that they needed this play in their life. And their partner was not able to or wanting to do it. And that was the end of the relationship. You know, usually it's not so cut and dry and simple. Usually there's a lot of factors that end up in the, that can cause a relationship to dissolve, but it can certainly be one of them. I've also known people that came out to their partner and their partner was just super not into it. So not into it that they left, you know, obviously that's something that I would not want for any of you. But if your partner doesn't want to be in a relationship with you because of who you are fundamentally, I don't feel like that's your fault. I feel like, you know, being open and honest with your partner is sometimes more important than, you know, preserving that harmony. You can only pretend to be somebody you're not for a certain amount of time. You know, relationships often take sacrifice. Relationships often take putting aside things that you enjoy for the sake of your partner. You know, that's not necessarily the sign of a bad relationship. However, pretending to be something you're not is very difficult and very hard and can lead to a lot of unhappiness, both for you and for your partner. You know, on a very personal note for me, you know, I was married for a long time and I was married to somebody that was not into this. I was married to somebody that didn't really know that I was into this. And I tried to be part of that straight-laced, square lifestyle for a long time because I love the person, right? We do a lot of things for love, and I love that relationship, and I wanted to be in that relationship. However, in time, you know, my desire to be in that relationship meant pretending to be something that I wasn't. And I did that for a long time at a pretty heroic level of effort to maintain that. You start to feel extremely weighted by that. And it can cause resentments in you for your partner that they don't deserve because you're the one that has the facade on. You're the one not being true to yourself. It's not their fault that you're not being true to yourself. It's incumbent upon you to always be true to yourself from the beginning of the relationship all the way to the end of the relationship. And if you enter into a relationship and you say, well, you know, I'm really this kind of person. I'm really kinky and I'm really into BDSM and this really turns me on. My partner isn't, so I'm just going to pretend to not be into this for the duration of this relationship. It might work. It might not. In my case, it did not work. Me pretending to be something that I wasn't ended up hurting me and ended up hurting my partner. It would have been better if from the very beginning I said, hey, this is who I am. This is who I am and who I want to be. Do you accept me as I am or are you accepting me as the person I'm portraying myself to be? And, you know, I got to say it was a good relationship for many years. It was very hard for me and it ended up hurting us both. And I bear the full responsibility for that. I'm the one that was hiding who I really was. So it was not her fault. It was my fault. I did try at one point to get her to open up to these things and be okay with it. And to her credit, she did try, but it wasn't for her and she didn't like it. 
And, you know, that's not her fault. That's my fault. My fault is in I should have not pretended to be something I wasn't. The thing is with me is I knew who I was before I entered the relationship and I made the choice to try and be something I wasn't. Some people don't discover their kinks until they're already in a long-term relationship. And that can be difficult. You know, how do you have that conversation with your partner who's always known you to be this way? And now you tell them, hey, you know, I saw this video and it really turned me on. And this is some stuff that I would like to try with you. You know, hopefully they're open to it. Maybe they've been hiding secret kinks of their own. And they're like, oh, I didn't know you were kinky. I've been having the same kind of fantasies. That's a very serendipitous outcome for you guys to both be hesitant to talk to each other about kinky stuff and then end up finding out that you were both kinky all the time and didn't know it. You know, that's the best possible outcome is discovering that you're kinky and surprise, your partner is also kinky. Or maybe they're just willing to give it a try. You know, it's nothing they've really thought about or fantasized about, but they're not opposed to it, you know, and they are happy to fulfill you in that way. And it may end up being something you enjoy together. How to have that initial conversation? You know, I talked about this on a previous episode. If you sit them down and you straight out say, I've discovered I have this kink and I want you to do this with me. That can be very difficult to back away from if it turns out that they are super not into that kind of thing. If you're hesitant to have that conversation, I would suggest trying to obliquely sidelong into it. Ask them, hey, you know, have you ever done this? Have you ever done anything, you know, kinky in a relationship? Did you ever have a partner that did kinky stuff? That's not necessarily saying that you're into it. It can be hinting strongly that you're into it. It does give you the option of backing away from that position if they end up having a strong negative reaction, right? If they're like, no, I think people that do that are just sick and twisted and I don't want to have anything to do with that. That's a big red warning flag that your own kinky desires are probably not going to work in this relationship. But if they say, you know, oh yeah, yeah, I had a partner and we did some kind of fun kinky stuff, but it was only X or only X amount of times and et cetera. That can be an entry point. That can be a way for them to open the door a little bit to you saying, well, maybe we should try that. It is difficult. I, I can't pretend it's not. And I can't pretend it's an easy solution. Ask yourself, do I need this? Ask yourself how important this is. Ask yourself, what are the consequences if I tell my partner this and they are really not into it? Ask yourself, do I have a relationship with my partner where I can be open and honest about my feelings? Hopefully the answer is yes. Whether you're into kink or not, being able to communicate and feel safe with your partner when you communicate with them, to me, number one sign of a healthy relationship. Number one. You know, if you guys can't talk about things without fighting, or without somebody getting their feelings hurt, or, you know, you feel like you can't share truths with your partner because they always take them the wrong way and, a, you know, a bad thing happens. That is an unhealthy relationship, whether it's in BDSM or vanilla world. So having those open lines of communication, any therapist in the world will back me up on this one. You should be able to talk to your partner one-to-one without fear, without fear of reprisal, without fear of them flying off the handle, etc. You know, and as a partner, if you want your partner to be honest with you, if you want them to come to you and tell you things that are important to them, 
you cannot punish them for telling you the truth. Even if that truth is uncomfortable, even if that truth hurts your feelings, even if that truth makes you angry, you have to control that. Be a grown person. Accept criticism. Listen to it. See what they have to say. You know, don't immediately get your back up. Don't immediately interject with, oh yeah, well, you do this. You know, that's, that's childish. Listen to what they have to say. Maybe they do do the same thing. Maybe they're complaining at you for leaving the dishes in the sink and they do it too. You know, sure, sit on that for a second. Because obviously it's bothering them that you do it. Figure out why it's bothering them that that you do it. You know, talk to them about it. You don't need to fire back with, well, you leave your dishes in the sink too. You know, that is how arguments start. Somebody has to be the diffuser. Somebody has to be the one that doesn't react doesn't snap back and come back with hard things. That's how people break down communication. So be open to your partner. When they have to tell you something, make a safe space. Make a place where they feel comfortable and they will tell you the truth. If you punish someone for telling the truth, and you know, mind you, when I say punish, obviously this is a BDSM podcast, but I'm talking about in the vanilla world. A punishment is any disincentive. If you disincentivize them from telling you the truth, they won't. Water follows the path of least resistance. And if they've learned that when they tell you the truth, you get angry with them and you don't talk to them or whatever, whatever way you show your displeasure, if that's what you give them when they give you the truth, they will stop giving you the truth. And then you're going to be mad because you feel like they're hiding stuff from you. They're not because you've made it an unsafe environment for them to be honest. And that works with parents and children. It works peer to peer. It works employee and boss. You know, if you have a boss you can't tell the truth to, that's on them. That is their fault. If they've created an environment where you feel like telling them the truth, telling them that a project is not going to get done on time, is going to only end up with, you know, an explosion and somehow you becoming punished for it, you don't tend to tell them that the project isn't going to be due on time. This is a basic thing in, you know, human programming. We respond to incentives and we respond to disincentives. Ask yourself which one you are presenting to your partner. It turns out that everything I'm talking about when it comes down to negotiating a BDSM relationship boils down to communication, which means that the subservient and the dominant need to set those roles aside temporarily and have a peer-to-peer conversation where the subservient feels safe, where the dominant is not taking offense that the subservient is telling them what they want, what they expect, what they need, what they don't want. That is something that should happen before you enter into a BDSM relationship, a dominant-submissive relationship. And if it needs to happen periodically during a relationship, make sure you have a mechanism for that. Make sure you have a way of sitting down in the midst of a very strong BDSM, DS relationship and talking peer-to-peer. That needs to be part of it. I wanted to touch one more thing. When we talked about the survey and saying what we're into and not into, you know, people will put on there their hard limits. They may say, I do not like breath play. I don't like to be choked. I don't want your hand over my mouth. I don't want any sort of breath play. That turns me off. 
Unfortunately, sometimes doms see that as their responsibility to train that person away from that aversion. You know, it's the same thing if somebody tells you they're scared of spiders, so you dump a tank of spiders in their lap. I would advise against that in general. You know, if someone tells you they have a boundary, it is not your role to push against that boundary and see what happens. That's not good play. That's not responsible play. Now, here's something that is responsible. If you have that urge, you know, ask your partner, you know, you told me that you're not into breath playing. Is that something that you want to explore? Would you like to try doing some very light breath play and then moving forward? Maybe they are. Maybe that's something they want to overcome. Maybe they have a fear of spiders that they don't want to have and they do want to get over it. And you can help them with that. Awesome. But if they say, no, I don't want you to do that thing, you have to respect that. Just because you're the dominant, just because you have all the control, just because you have all the authority, you still need to make good decisions in regards to your subservient. And going against something that they've told you is a boundary, going against something they've told you not to do, does not prove your dominance to them. That's not how it works. You know, if they say they don't like breath play, respect that. Don't do it. Don't think that you're going to be the one that teaches them that it's okay. Unless they consent to that. Subs, it's the same thing I'm telling you, you know. Doms have hard limits too. And it is just as important for the subs to respect the dom's hard limits as the dom to respect the sub. You know, obviously I think that in BDSM relationships, this tends to be a top-down issue where dominants don't necessarily respect the boundaries of their sub because they feel dominant over them and why should they have limits, etc. I think that's bad form in domination. You know, to me it's better to have constraints on a dominant relationship and work within them. You know, I think that shows a more advanced level of domination than saying, you know, I'm your dominant. Don't you dare have any limits for me. I will do whatever I want. I don't feel like that's dominant behavior. And we're going to get into that in great detail in the dominant episode. So yeah, I think that covers pretty well entering into a BDSM relationship with somebody. If you know what kind of sub you are, or you know what kind of dominant you are, state that. Tell them what you've done, what you're interested in, and what you're not interested in. Share your sexual health information. Know your sexual health information. Talk about consent and withdrawal of consent. Talk about expectations. Talk about how much time you have to devote to this. Talk about how you will communicate as a dom and a sub down the road when you need to talk peer-to-peer. Talk about privacy. Talk about is this something that they're going to be open about or something they need to be discreet about. You know, not everybody is open in their public life about their kink play. As a kinky partner, it's incumbent upon you to keep their secrets if they have secrets. That's not something that's negotiable. That's if someone's into a fetish with you and it's not something they're open about, it is a huge betrayal of trust for you to out them to your friends, right? Or their friends or people you know in common. 
this is something that is more unique to kink play than to vanilla relationships. If you know somebody is kinky and they're not out to their community or their friends, it is not your place to do that for them. You know, that is their decision. If and when they want to come out to their friends and family, that is their choice. You know, don't joke about it. Don't say, oh yeah, so-and-so likes to get tied up and beaten. That is not for you to disclose. Don't do that. Respect somebody's privacy. If that's something that they want to keep secret, you keep their secret and vice versa. You know, a lot of these subjects we will dive into more depth on. Dominance and submission, different types of BDSM play. And that will probably be a series of episodes because there's a lot, you know, there's a lot of different kinds of play. Next week, I think we're going to go into the nature of submissiveness, the different types of submissives, the different types of submissive relationships. That will, of course, dovetail into our dominance episode. On the business front, a couple weeks ago, we had the site taken down. We got the site put back up. And yesterday, they deleted nine of our videos. Obviously, we're still struggling with Pornhub. We're still struggling with trying to get them to communicate with us as to what exactly they're looking for, what exactly they don't want. And unfortunately, they will continue to point us to, well, don't violate our terms and conditions of service. I can tell you, having studied those, that's impossible. You know, one of their terms and conditions of service is, and I quote, do not upload obscene content to our website. It's a porn site. So the most vanilla, gentle porn we could send to them violates their terms and conditions of service. So them pointing us to those doesn't help. You know, they'll say nothing violent. Well, what is violent? You know, seriously, what is violence? There's lots of rough videos on their site. There's videos of women getting slapped and, you know, thrown around and handled very roughly that they are apparently fine with. So, you know, obviously I think there's a certain level of violence that is unacceptable to them, but there's clearly a level of sexual violence that is perfectly acceptable to them. They don't have any problem with spanking videos. That's violence. You know, anytime a human is striking another human, that's violence. Having extremely rough sex with someone could be considered violence. And there's plenty of that on their site. So what I'm saying is, is that for us specifically, it can seem very arbitrary because while they took down nine Katja videos, they left up some of her rougher videos. Apparently those were fine or they weren't too violent or for whatever reason, those missed out on the most recent purge. It is very frustrating. It's very disheartening because we've invested so much time in that platform. Um, as you know, recently we have set up X hamster and X vids. Initially X hamster was more difficult to set up and get monetized, but we've had much more success on X hamster. X videos was very easy to set up and get monetized, but we've had very little success on an X videos. You know, I don't know, maybe it's just the whim of the porn audience on those respective sites. I'm essentially doing the same thing I did on Pornhub where you know, at the beginning, we didn't know what would sell. We didn't know what would be popular. So I'm uploading videos to both of those sites. I don't want to be dependent on one site anymore. I am trying to get a video sales platform set up 
I am still not able to do that. I have emailed the customer service reps back and forth, have not figured out that issue yet. Hopefully that will be soon. The Patreon has been really successful and I'm, I really appreciate uh, my Patreon supporters out there. There'll be a link at the end of this video if you want to help out with that. The Patreon gets exclusive content. I'm putting up pictures. I'm putting up spoken word erotica. I'll be putting up more stories. I'll be putting up just a lot of kind of nice behind the scenes and exclusive content for our Patreon subscribers. Um, so yeah, if you can do that, I would really appreciate it. If not, no big deal. I'm using that to fund this podcast and make this something that isn't just a huge labor of love and a very expensive labor of love. So having the Patreon really helps offset the costs of that. If you listen to this on a podcast, you should know that there's also a video cast. I put this up on YouTube and on Pornhub. I may try putting it on X Hamster and Xvids. I don't know if they would be interested in this, but why not? So if you actually want to see me give you these podcasts, check out our Wicked Ways channel on YouTube or on Pornhub. If you're watching this on YouTube, you should know that there's a podcast version so you don't have to be stuck by your computer or your cell phone. Uh, we are available on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, I think just about every major podcasting platform. If you search for you know, Wicked Wednesdays or Wicked Ways Studio Podcast or Wicked Fellow, you should be able to find that. Again, I'll have a link at the end of the video and I'll have a link underneath of the podcast description. We do have new content, which we'll be putting out on X Hamster and XVids because it is rough content and I'm tired of having our stuff pulled down from Pornhub. I have also been remastering some of our old content now that I have much better editing software. I can take some of our old, not very well lit, very grainy videos that have very good content, um, but they're hard to watch because they're very dark or it's very grainy. And I can improve those significantly now. So when I upload a video to XVids and XHamster, it's usually going to be the remastered version. So even if you've seen it before, you may be interested in taking another look. I've also cleaned up the edits a bit. Um, there is nothing like waiting a year after an edit to realize what you should have done. So the stuff that was on Pornhub, I would frequently be like, yeah, I should have cut that scene out or shortened this or rearranged this. But it's up, so I'm not going to worry about it. Since I am re-uploading all these videos and I often have to remaster them anyway, I am making some editing choices that I think are better, that help the scene flow, help keep the pace up, etc. Um, whatever is on Pornhub will stay on Pornhub as long as they don't take it down. If you go to XVids and XHamster, you'll see the new remastered, sometimes re-edited versions of our videos, as well as new videos. I have two um, Lavender videos that are in the works, and I have a whole host of Kacha videos. Um, we stopped posting her to Pornhub because they were taking them down and because all we had were rough scenes. So I have a bunch of rough scenes that I have not edited or put up yet, but I will be putting up on X Hamster because I think they will be fine there and they will be very successful there. So for those Kacha fans, and I know that you guys are, are legion, um, there will be new Kacha videos coming up soon. It takes time. I can only do one or two videos a day um, it does take a long time to upload them to X Hamster and X videos, but also the remastering process. I don't want to put a lot of our old videos up because they don't even have the right watermark. Some don't have a watermark at all. 
So I at least want to put them through the processor, clean them up, put a watermark on them, and then re-upload them. And all that takes time. And I have a lot of stuff that I'm trying to do. So I will get them up in time, bearing in mind that we've made over 190 videos. So it will take some time. I will be obviously putting up the things I think will be most successful first. Things that are already on Pornhub, I'm not as interested in putting on Xvids and Xhamster. Um, eventually, I will have our entire catalog there, but it will take a while. We're going to maintain Pornhub as long as they don't shut us down, but I think they're having trouble. You know, They put out a newsletter recently where they were pretty much begging models to upload more content. And I know why models aren't uploading content. I know why we aren't uploading content, because it's a huge waste of time and effort to make a video, upload it only to have it taken down. You know, that's a real deterrent from uploading videos. So yeah, we'll see what they do. I don't understand their business model. I don't understand how they're going to make it through this. They still do not have credit card support. You know, they went from being the industry leader to falling very far behind in viewership and it's the content, you know, they got rid of a lot of good content that was perfectly acceptable and legal, but they were worried that it would be seen as too rough or too edgy or too whatever. And in their efforts to court the credit card companies and say, look, we're a nice family friendly porn site. They've really kind of thrown the baby out with the bathwater, so to speak. And they've gotten rid of a lot of content they should not have because they were too concerned over internet people clutching their pearls and saying, oh my goodness, look what they're doing online. That is how it is. So that wraps it up for this particular podcast. Join us next week where we're going to talk about the nature of submissiveness and the different types of submissiveness in BDSM. Please keep those questions coming. You know, it really helped me out to get a whole list of questions from you guys, things that you want me to talk about, things you're interested in, questions you have. So if you heard something in this podcast that interested you and I didn't talk about it enough or I wasn't clear about it, give me some feedback. If there are things you want to hear as the series continues, please write those to me. You can go to the links at the end of the video. You can look us up on Instagram and Twitter and YouTube. Until next time, consent is king, stay safe out there, and I will see you next week. <laughs>